You're listening to a leadership message from Pastor Jurgen Matesius here at Awaken Church. To find out more about us, go to awakenchurch.com. How many people know that if I was to speak on faith this morning, that faith's kind of a good thing to speak on? Especially 2020, 2020, we, we saw that there was a, a rise in fear. When you see somebody jogging outside with a mask on, it's not science, it's fear. You see somebody cycling with a mask on outside, it's fear. Fear is a thief. Paul writes to Timothy and says, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but one of love, power, and a sound mind. Isn't that interesting? He didn't say God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but one of faith, which makes good preaching. But we have, we have a New Testament, and most of the epistles that Paul wrote, he wrote to address problems. He wrote to address issues. And he says, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but one of love, one of power, and one of a sound mind. The devil is very, very crafty. He knows that if he can inject fear into community, inject fear into society, inject fear into people, the three things that will dissipate is love. You'll find an increase in hate, division, hostility, so that then they can introduce all kinds of diversity training, equality, as though they've got the, they're the ones injecting love, power, powerless people, they give up their power, and then irrational sound mind, where you have people screaming at you, wear your mask, wear your mask, and uh, having a conniption, as though there's, as though there's science to support it. And so, so it's important to talk on faith. There are over 500 Bible verses talking about faith. If I was to say, hey, this morning we're going to talk on prayer, you'd say, absolutely. You know, we need to talk on prayer. John Wesley says that God does nothing except in response to prayer. And there are over 500 Bible verses about prayer. So how many people know that, that probably two predominant themes in church is you'll hear about prayer, get yourself to prayer. We've got men's prayer. We've got women's prayer. Prayer is important. Prayer is powerful. Prayer moves the heart of God, moves the hand of God. Prayer releases the power of God. So we want to be praying people. We know that faith is the, is the, the landing strip with the power, where the miracles of God land, that God is always looking for faith. He's a, he's a miracle working God. He, he, he's a miracle producing God, but he's just looking for a miracle believing people. And so faith is important. And yet there's 500 verses on faith, 500 verses on prayer. Money and possessions is something that churches have kind of shied away from, pastors have shied away from, and yet there's over 2,000 verses in the Bible on money and possessions. Why, why is that? Because I can have faith. I'm, in fact, I'm encouraged to have faith. I'm encouraged to have a prayer life. But everybody has possessions. So why, why 2,000 verses? Because there's 2,000 verses because God, God wants you to have money and possessions. He doesn't want money and possessions to have you. 
Nobody has to be warned from faith having them. Nobody has to be warned from prayer having them. But people need to be warned from, from money and possessions having them. So that's why there are 500 verses on faith, 500 verses on prayer, but over 2,000 verses on money and possessions. So the title of my message this morning is Seven Bible Money Myths. It's been seven years since I preached this, so uh, it's kind of a little, little bit of a, a revisionist moment. But I just want to go through seven things that you would have heard, will have heard, or will hear at some point when you're arguing with people who have uh, attended churches, grown up in churches, belong to churches that have chosen for whatever. We're just going to speak about matters of prayer and faith, but we're going to leave money and possessions alone. When the Bible itself is trying to tell us, hello, if you want to focus anywhere, you may want to look at this. That's why there's over 2,000 verses. If the Bible's talking about it, we ought to be talking about it. All right, so the first one, number one. Numero uno, por favor. Number one is... Money is the root of all evil. How many people have ever heard of that? Money is the root. I can't, I can't believe you, y'all at Wake and Church speak about money all the time. Don't you know money's the root of all evil? I can't believe you. That's that, that's that prosperity church. Money's the root of all evil. The Bible says so. Well, let's have a look. What does the Bible say? 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. I want you to notice something. Have a look what it says. 1 Timothy 6, verse 10 says, For the, for the love of money. It doesn't say money. Money is not the central thing in there. It's the love of money is the or a, is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So the, the Bible says that the love of money is a root of all evil, not money, the love of money. So may I just say this, God has no problem you having money. He just doesn't want you to love it. He wants you to love him. Watch this. We are to use money and love God. There are some people that love money and want to use God. Whenever you see perverted teaching or, you know, distorted, excessive, they, they, they love money and use God. God gets it the other way around. He wants us to love God. What's the first commandment? We shall love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and with all our strength. And the second is like that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. So if you're, we're loving God with everything that we have and we're loving our neighbor as ourselves, there should be no more room to love money. So we don't love money. We love God, but we use money. We use money. Does that make sense? So how, 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 do, I, how do I break the grip? Because if I was honest with you, the, 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 the human condition, the human condition works very, very much on rewards and punishments. Rewards and punishments. Uh, pleasure and pain. H how many people here know that, that when, when something rewards you, your, your brain, which is amoral, it's not immoral. It's not moral. It is amoral. So, for example, when, when somebody takes drugs, the brain just feels the high, the euphoria, and says, this is good. Let's do this more. 
And uh, even though that drug could end up destroying somebody's life, when, 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 when someone gets an alcohol hit or gets addicted to, to vice or a sex addiction, or what, it's, it's because the brain says, man, that felt good. Let's do that more. So the Bible is trying to teach us just to beware. So I know that there has been times where my money bought my Tesla and I love my Tesla. Therefore, I'm like, oh my gosh, money, come here, you. Bring it in. And it's very easy for your heart to be seduced because money meant that you were able to get that rent. You got a raise and now you're able to live in La Jolla. You, you got a raise, you're able to buy a new, you, you, you got a bonus and you're able to go on a really great vacation. You, so, so you and I are constantly living in these moments where the brain processes, wow, look what money, how can you have the audacity not to love money? Look what money is doing for, and so the Bible says that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So every single day, because of the, the, the uh, reward, pleasure mechanisms in the brain, you will find yourself being potentially seduced to love money or, or, or at the very least love what it does for you. So, so this brings us to the great answer. The great answer is this, that how many people know that God doesn't need our money? Come on, for the rest of us, God doesn't need our money. He, he doesn't need it. He's got streets paved with gold in heaven. He, you know, he's, he doesn't need, need our money. And yet he asks for it. So if he doesn't need it and he asks for it, then it can't be because he's trying to pay a bill. The reason that God asks for our money, though he doesn't need it, is because our money is attached to something of far greater value. The Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the, one of the reasons that we are absolutely unapologetic and emphatic about talking about giving every single week, and the only people that get triggered are the people who love money more than they love God. Because if you love God more than you love money, you'll have no problem giving God money. In fact, the antidote, I was going to say vaccine, but that's a bad word right now. So the antidote, the anti-venom, the anti-venom to, to falling in love with money is, is giving. Every time you give, you say, hey, money, let me just tell you who's first in my life. Let me tell you who I love with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul, with all my strength. I love God. And you, my friend, because money will try and say, hey, no, no, elevate me above God. Hey, no, 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 you need me. You can't trust God. Trust me. Look what I just did for you. I just, pay, I, did I, did God, pay, I paid for, you're just like, no, 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 money. God is my source. He brings you to me. You are a servant. You are not a master. And I will love the Lord my God. And so whenever you bring money, you break that spirit. You break that power and you remove its, its agenda to get you to fall in love with it. That's why sometimes just to, I'll just put an extra zero or whatever uh, to, to break that spirit. Money is the most egalitarian force in society. It confers power on whoever holds it. That's a quote by a guy called Roger Starr. 
Money is the most egalitarian force in society. Egalitarian means equal opportunity. Money is the most egalitarian force in society. It confers power on whoever holds it. God wants you to have money. He just doesn't want money to have you. God wants you to have money. He just doesn't want money to have you. Can somebody say amen? amen. Now, Judas in the Bible was Jesus's treasurer. He was Jesus's accountant. The Bible says he was the treasurer, the accountant, because Jesus had money. If anybody didn't have to, didn't need it, like if Jesus said, hey, Jesus, I want to volunteer, I'll, I'll be your accountant. And she's like, oh, sorry, Judas, haven't you read the Bible by woke pastors? We, we don't need money. There's buckets on the way up but feel no pressure to give. Like, I'm the son of God. Like, duh. If there's one person who doesn't need it, that God's going to look after, it's me. And yet Jesus had a money bag. He had, he had a treasury that he had to put somebody in charge to keep account of the treasury because Jesus had money. Now, nowhere will you see that money had him, but he had money. He had money, so he had to have a treasurer. Just break that spirit and break that lie of evil, wicked doctrine of demon, false teaching that somehow money is the root of all evil. The love of money is a root of, we love God and we use money. Somebody say amen. amen. All right, number two. Number two, we should store up our treasures for, uh, for on earth, not, sorry, in heaven, not on earth. We should store up our treasures on earth, uh, in heaven, not on earth. Is that right? Is that the second one? I think so. And we should, yeah, there you go. All right, so. Mark 10, 21 to 22. Then Jesus looking at him. This is the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. Lord, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, you know the commandments. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not. He says, oh, all, all these I've kept since I was a child. Elementary, my dear Jesus. All these I've kept since. I, and Jesus looks at him and says, wow, that makes two of us. Everybody else is a violator. All right, well, let, let me test you then. Then Jesus looking at him and loved him and says, one thing you lack because I know I love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I know I've kept all the commandments, and I'm about to give my life on a cross. So let me just go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, take up your cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. For he had great possessions. So there's this... There's this constant theme that, you know, we're meant to store up treasure in heaven. I was in Hotlanta, Georgia, and uh, got out of my car. We were walking into the mall, and there was this, this kind of dinged up, beaten up old car, and had a bumper sticker saying, my treasure's in heaven, you know. And it was, you know, I mean, it was just, it must feel awesome. Like, oh, yeah, I see your new car. Look at my crappy piece of, you see my bumper sticker? My treasure's in heaven. Now, how many, how many people here? How many people here have a bank account? Can, can I just tell you, you don't put your money in Wells Fargo for Wells Fargo. You know, you don't put your money in U.S. Bank for U.S. Bank. It's not like you know, honey, quick look! Oh my gosh, we got a postcard. 
No, that's the executive, the executive branch there, and, and they're on vacation. Yeah, it's because of the money we put in. We don't put money in Wells Fargo for Wells Fargo. We don't put money in US Bank for US Bank. We, we, we store it there. For, when Jesus is saying that you have treasure in heaven, it's not for heaven. It's not for heaven. No matter how much money you store up in heaven, in, in eternity, even if it costs you one cent a day to live, you're going to go, how are you going to, what are you going to do in, the, in one trillion years' time? Oh, I didn't. And what about the thief on the cross? You know, who's been up there for 2,000 years. Like when we, we, we arrive in heaven, oh, man, this is awkward. There's a, there's a panhandler. And, you know, you, you want to make it in. I feel, I feel, I can't even pull up at a light and they got the little sign, you know, I'm hungry for you, <laughs> you know, and, you know, and it's like, oh man, I've got to give them something like I can't, you know, and you feel, and they're looking at you and you're like, oh, well, imagine, imagine heaven, imagine heaven. I mean, you're like, man, I'm pretty sure I've made it. I'm, you know, and, and there's a panhandler there. You're like, ah, oh, you know, this is a great way to, Peter, how you doing? Yerks, yeah, see it. But then all of a sudden you realize, oh, didn't even bring my wallet. I don't even have any pockets. Like, because, you know, the poor guy, I mean, he, he got saved hanging on a cross. He didn't have time to lay up any treasure. Poor little blighter for 2,000 years. He's just been eking by on scraps. How many people know the treasure in heaven isn't treasure for heaven? God says, bring the tithe and I will open the windows of heaven and pour out such blessing. God says, because you have done this, the heavens have withheld their blessing. The heavens have withheld their showers. The heavens have withheld their rain. We store up treasure in heaven where moth or rust don't destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. We store up treasure in heaven. Every time you're generous, the Bible says in Acts chapter 10 that Cornelius when God was looking, who can be the very, very first non-Jew to get the Holy Spirit? The Bible says there was a, a centurion called Cornelius who was generous with his giving, but also a man of prayer. And Peter gets a vision on a rooftop. Go and see this man down in Joppa called Cornelius and tell him, say to him, your prayers and your giving has come up before God as a memorial. So the giving left his hand on earth, but it was accruing in heaven. So that when God was pouring out from heaven, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and the Holy Spirit. For when from heaven blessing was coming down, the man who had stored up treasure in heaven was the first to receive it. So this is what I've discovered. Every time I do something that is good, that honors God, that men don't see, if I do it for men to see, if I do it for everybody to notice what I'm doing, I can kind of tend to, to lose my reward because I've already got my reward from other people. That's why Jesus, go into your, into your secret place. Don't, don't, don't be like the Pharisees and the hypocrites who, who moan and groan, oh, this, this fasting's killing me on my 39th day of a 40-day fast and that's just my devotion. And he says, you know, they've... He says, they've already got their reward. They're getting jack diddly because they're not doing it for God. They're doing it for men. He says, but when you anoint your head, you know, go into your inner room and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And so when, 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 
when you're storing up treasure in heaven, it's every time you do, nobody knew your, your generosity, your sacrifice, your honoring of God, you are storing up because all of life is in a cycle and it flows from heaven to earth. The, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our lives on earth should reflect a heavenly reality. When people look and they say, my God, it, you cannot deny in a court of law, the circumstantial evidence would say that Jesse and Kat Sullivan have been kissed by heaven because we knew them when they moved from the East Coast to San Diego and what God has done in them, their two beautiful babies, their beautiful home, their beautiful lives, their ministry, the, everything that they do, it is undeniable that they have been kissed by heaven, that you can see that heaven's fingerprints, hand, heaven's handiwork is on their lives. When Mike and Katie Diego moved from, from Texas to, to, to San Diego and began to unlearn some of the things they learned and then learned, you can see the blessing of heaven. Why? is It's because you, they're storing up treasures, not on earth. They're not looking to make all of their investments, earthly investments. They've got heavenly investments. For many, many years, people were saying, hey, you need to do this. You need to put your money there and put your money. And we, you know, we just said, well, we're just going to keep honoring God. Right now, we can't honor God and we can't build what God has called us to build and have an investment portfolio. But I've got to be honest with you. We, 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 we have not missed out. In fact, I remember in New Zealand, when, when we built a home in New Zealand, finished it in 1997 and then left a year later, which is crazy, 1998, but anyway, we didn't know. But when we finished that home, my senior pastor, who probably felt a little bit pricked uh, in his conscience for, uh, he wasn't the greatest money manager and so there was never money. So, we, you know, everybody on staff was paid, you know, well below what not only living standards were, but even, uh, you know, what would have been equitable for, for them to, to earn. And I remember him kind of trying to appease his conference conscience saying, oh, well, that home that you just built and its value and its worth and that miracle, yeah, it's obvious that God was compensating for what we were unable to do. And it's just because Leanne and I had made that decision, we're always going to honor God. And whenever you honor God, whenever you put God first, you store up treasure in heaven. But treasure in heaven is not for heaven. It's treasure in heaven for earth. That person with my treasures in heaven, darling, make a withdrawal and get yourself a nicer car. Number three. All right, is that, is that landing? Is that helping? All right. Okay, number three. Tithing is Old Testament. You don't need to tithe. Tithing is Old Testament. And what they say by that, they say tithing is under the law and and because it's Old Testament under the law, we don't need to tithe anymore because we're not under the law. Jesus came to redeem us from under the law. This is this, 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 this a popular one. I, I remember over the years having arguments with people that tried to tell me that tithing is Old Testament and then they say, well, you know, tithing is just 10%. God's got everything. Whenever You'll always hear them try and say that and it's a Judas Iscariot moment. Why this waste? This should have been sold and given to the poor. This he said, not because he cared for the poor. So whenever you hear someone say, whenever somebody has a problem with 10%, don't believe it's because they want to really give 100%. 
10% to minimum. That's why I've got a problem with it. Well, this, it says start there. It doesn't say end there, you jack. And it's like, so Abraham was tithing. The law didn't come till Moses. The Old Testament didn't come. Long before the law came, there was tithing. Abraham tithed. Isaac tithed. Jacob tithed. In fact, tithing goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, yeah, in the Garden of Eden, God puts Adam in a garden to tend and to keep it. And he says, all of these are yours except that one. That one is mine. You can't eat that. You have to honor me with that. Oh, okay, I'll just avoid it. No, no, I, I, I need you to water it. I need you to prune the branches. I need you to tend it. I need you to take care of it. It's going to be in your possession. You don't to build a fence around it or remove it outside of the garden. It is going to, it's going to always be there right in the middle of your life, but it's a way to honor me. Now watch this. Over the years, people have said, you know, like, like if God's so smart and he knows everything, why, why did he put the tree in the garden? And I don't know why it's a southern accent, but anyway, it's, um, it does, yeah, thank you. Why, why, has anyone ever thought that? Like, God, if you know everything, why would you put the flipping, it's like, you know, wet paint, don't touch. Ah, oh, yeah, it is. You know, it's like, you know, like why put the tree in the garden? Anybody? Why put the tree in the garden? Okay, just a few, all right. Who wants the answer? Okay, this, this is what I felt the Holy Ghost show me. Genesis 1, God said for Adam to exercise dominion, to subdue, to have authority, have dominion over the earth, to, to, to subdue. So where, where, where does Adam get authority? From God. How do we get authority from God? Submission. A centurion had a servant who was at home sick and Jesus said, I'll come to your house and heal him. He says, oh, no, no, no. I, like you, am also a man under authority. I can say to this one, go, and he goes. And to this one, come, and he comes. He says, just speak. the." And Jesus says, my God, not in all Israel have I seen such great faith. God put the tree in the garden, not as a weakness, not as a stumbling block. God put the tree in the garden as an empowering authority deputizing element because while Adam honored God was in submission, the authority of God for Adam's lordship in the earth was intact. As soon as Adam reached out and violated that, he lost authority. He lost the keys to authority and Satan picked those keys up and usurped. The, the tree was there to keep Adam in submission. While he was in submission, he lived under God's authority. God's authority flowed through him. That's why when you bring the tithe, when you bring the tithe, provision and protection flow into your life. That's why Leanne and I have discovered that 90% of our income with the blessing of God is greater than 100% trying to work against a curse. The greatest, we are fools if we don't teach people tithing. 
you, you teach people in your new Christians class tithing. Man, don't you want to keep them in church? My God, because we freaking love them. They're trying to, they're battling to pay their bills. They're battling to make ends meet. Why will we tell them, no, keep a hundred? Hey, at least start with 1%. No, it doesn't start with 1%. The tithe is the Lord's. The tithe is the first tenth. Just jump straight in there. But you don't understand the debts I've accumulated. Well, jump in there and watch God open the windows of heaven, pour out such blessing and rebuke the devourer. All of a sudden, it's like that devourer. Man, the, the bank's just called and they're not doing any more interest rates. That's weird. I just tithe. And the going to freeze the interest rates and, and I'm meeting with, with uh, a, a, a debt consolidator and they're going to, it's amazing what happens when we, so tithing is a principle that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. All the great patriarchs, it didn't come from Moses, the Old Testament, and it didn't end with Moses. Jesus in Matthew 23, 23 says, you know, you guys tithe on mint and cumin, but you neglect the weightier matters of the law. He says, you ought to do these as well as the first. So even Jesus spoke about tithing. Number four, real quick. Oh, dear Jesus. Number four is poverty pleases God. Poverty pleases God. Blessed are the poor, for they shall receive the kingdom. And you see, you see those movies and, you know, there's Jesus sitting on, you know, sitting on, on the side of the hill with, you know, the disciples. And the disciples were really just homeless vagrants. Like when you watch the movies, you know, they, they were like, you know, they were unemployable, really. Couldn't hold a job. You know, Peter's like hacking people's ears off. Like, who's going to hire that guy? It's a freaking loose cannon, you know. And, and so, you know, so you see these, you know, these homeless people with beards, unshaven. And Jesus, Jesus gathered just a whole bunch of blessed are the poor, for they shall inherit. <laughs> The disciples, the disciples, they called James the elder because he was the eldest. He was 23. John, who wrote the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the book of Revelation, was 15 when he started following Jesus, when he became a disciple. They were incredibly young. Not one of them was unemployed. All of them were employed. So, so when people say, Blessed are the poor. You need to understand most Bible translations say, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn. So if, 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 if the Bible says, Blessed are those who mourn, then really, you know, if people are blessed if they're mourning, then we should, you know, while we're driving and just blessing people. You might want to mourn for that one. That looks like somebody's mama right there. Just being honest. No, but if I'm poor, then God, you know, then I'm dependent upon God. No, you're not. What are you dependent on? Yeah, you depend on other people. That's about it. See, the devil wants you and I to believe a lie so that nobody can depend upon you. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 9 says that, that the blessing of God will cause you to abound in all things that you may be able to, out of your abundance, out of your overflow, give to every good work. 
there are there are orphanages in Baja Mexico who are able to depend on the blessing of God on awakened church because of the blessing of God and the faithfulness of the people in awakened church so that we are not just able to look after the needs of and the vision and the ministry of this church, but we're able to give in over. We were able to build a, a hospital in Ghana. We're able to look after eight villages in Peru. The missions work that we're able to do is because we understand the biblical principles of of uh prosperity. God doesn't want you to be poor. Well, the Bible says he became poor so that we might become rich. That means it doesn't mean material things. It doesn't mean material things. Show me once in the Bible where God blessed and it wasn't material. Show me once. Show me once where Jesus says, you know, I want you to be blessed. Not money, not, not material stuff, like spiritual stuff. I can't pay for, pay my bills with spiritual stuff. I can't walk into U.S. Bank and say, I know my mortgage is due, but what about instead of me giving you money, I give you some spiritual wealth? No, no, I got a tract, and it looked like a $20 bill. Somebody gave it to me and said, hey, this is worth more than money. And it was given to me by a waitress in my church because somebody gave it to her saying, hey, here's a scripture. Here's something worth more than money. No, 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 she, she, she can't use that to, to, put, to buy baby food. She can't use that to pay her rent. If, if, if you've got something that is worth more, well, then you should have no problem giving something less. But it's not worth more, is it, you cheap, scally? It is such a wickedness. So, so... You know, how poor? How, how poor should we be? Like India poor? India poor where we, where we break the legs of our, of our babies and we put them in vases so that the, the legs grow deformed because the more deformed, the more chance you have of begging for money. Like, well, no, 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 not that poor. Well, how poor? Well, you know, just like, you know, just not excess. Like where well, you've got just enough. Just enough for who? Oh, well, you know, just, just enough for you. Just enough for you. All right, let me ask you a question. Who would be the one behind the door of just enough for you? If we open that door and say, okay, there's a teaching in the church of you should live with just enough for you and no more. When we open that door, who do you think standing behind that? A, is it Lucifer? In his little red PJs with horns on his head and a pitchfork. Or B, is it Yeshua HaMashiach? Is it Jesus the Christ? Let's have a look, shall we? Bing, 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 bing. Lucifer. What, what a wicked lie. Like the most evil, selfish, that I should have just enough for moi. So that when I hear teaching, I can excuse myself. Well, I'd give to eat the little kid starving in, but I've only got just enough for me. I've cut down my work hours. I don't need to work 40 hours. I... Now I only work 22 because I have a mindset and mentality. I make just enough for me. What a wicked life. Do you know, not once did God do a miracle that was just enough. When he fed the 5,000 men plus women and children, he said, now go collect the baskets of leftovers. They're like, what are you talking about? Five loaves and two fit. What? Collect the 
baskets of leftovers because the signature of God is abundance. The signature of God is overflow. The signature of God is more than enough. Ephesians 3.20. Ephesians 3.20 talks about a God who does exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think according to the power at work in you. Poverty pleases God. No, it doesn't. How do we know that? Because he says, go and preach the gospel to the poor. If, if poverty pleased God, he'd say, leave the poor alone. They please me. They've got it. They, I want you all to be. Jesus ministered to the poor, sent the disciples to minister to the poor because they weren't poor and they weren't meant to be poor. Number five, I know we're out of time. Number five, real quick. We shouldn't give to get. We shouldn't give to get. Luke 6, 37, judge not, you will not be judged. Condemn not, you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Verse 38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap for with the same measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. How many people know that God gave his only begotten son? God didn't give Jesus saying, I'm not expecting anything in return. God gave Jesus fully expecting a harvest. When God, want, God gave his best seed to, for him to reap and yield the greatest harvest. God didn't give an angel with a broken wing. He didn't give one that was beaten up in battle. He gave his only, he gave what was most precious to him. And you better believe God was expecting a return on his investment. If God gave expecting to, to receive back, you should be godly like God, giving and absolutely giving with anticipation, looking forward to, to, to reap back a harvest. I have to do the other two another time. But all right, let me get you. Well, I'll give them to you. You can't be rich and go to heaven. Anyone ever heard that one? You can't be rich and go to heaven. It doesn't say that. It says how difficult it is. Why is that? Because your trust is in your wealth, not in God. And then the last one, um, this is a massive one. In Matthew 6, 25, Jesus says, I tell you, do not worry about what you'll eat, what you'll drink, you know, your clothing, what you will wear. Your heavenly father knows you need these things. And just like, you know, the, 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 the ravens don't. But a lot of people confuse don't worry with don't think about. He just said, don't worry about it. He didn't say don't plan. He didn't say don't think about it. He didn't say don't strategize. Well, you know, the reason I'm dressed like a scruff, the reason I got evicted from my last three properties is because I didn't pay the rent because I follow the Bible. I don't worry about that kind of stuff. No, 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 no. Now you have to worry about it, you jack wagon, because you've got to move all your stuff out of a place again because you didn't think about you didn't strategize about, you didn't plan for. It just says, don't worry. It, don't worry. When you put God's for, God first, when you honor God, Psalm 35, 27 says, let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause. And let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure. What gives God's pleasure? Have a look at that verse who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. What gives God pleasure? Can you see that? 
Let them shout for joy and be glad. I don't like Awaken Church. It's full of hype. All those young people jumping up and down. They're shouting and there's gladness. They were in a swimming pool, a marriage retreat, like making like a whirlpool with alcoholic beverages in their hand. There was a lot of shouting, a lot of gladness. Let them shout and be, who favour my righteous cause and let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure. Like it pleases God who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Come on, stand to your feet. Just turn your your palms towards heaven. You know what pleases your heavenly father? I've got four kids, four kids. I can't even begin to tell you how Leanne and I, how we take pleasure in their prosperity. We take pleasure when they're doing well. I watched an Instagram video of, of Holton hitting a home run in, was it the last game? The last game, second last game. And he hits a home run. And his brother said to him, I'll give you 20 bucks if you hit a home run. He steps up to and just, you know, all the way into Wrigley Outfield. I mean, just bam. Hit someone in the head in Chicago. That's how far he hit it. And uh, to, to see him run and high-fiving everybody. The, the, the joy that John and Becky would have. No, no parent delights in the suffering of their children. Yeah, they fell off their bike and broke their arm. Yes. Their bike got stolen. Somebody robbed them at knife point. They got evicted from their flat for the third time and now they're distressed. That's what churches preach. You, like, I'm joking. You got, you got idiots. You got, excuse me. You got, you got people that will say, you know, um, the blessing of God. What pleases God isn't your new BMW. What brings joy to God is you driving a new, new BMW and you slam the brakes on and your daughter flies through the windscreen and is dead. And you still praise God. That's what pleases God. And it sounds more like that's what would please the devil. It's such, a, it's such a wickedness. But, but when God planted us in San Diego, I had no idea how these weeds were growing and would continually seek to attack. And, you know, Leanne and I are very, very often vilified and attacked very, very nastily on, you know, social media. And I was, I don't care. I just post and <laughs> couldn't give a rat's. Every now and again, I'll read a comment and say, that's really dumb, and either block or respond depending. And I'll only respond once. If they still, then I realize you, uh, you're actually saying this not because you want to know, but just because you want to argue. I don't have time. It's a, just, if you just put this in the back of your head, I know there are 10 commandments. The 11th commandment is don't argue with idiots. 11th commandment, don't argue with idiots. Just, it's, it's a waste of your time. Proverbs says that, actually not to do that. But turn, turn your palms towards heaven. Nobody, no parent, no parent. If you talk to beautiful Andessa, every time, beautiful little lyric, extraordinary, every time she creates something, every time she, no parent delights in the suffering of their. Don't believe that God is a God who delights in your suffering. 
God delights. He takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. He takes pleasure when my son Ash got married and him and Aubrey bought their first home, little three-bedroom condo. I couldn't have been more proud of him. I said, son, at, at, at 22, you bought your first property. You are so far ahead of your daddy. I'm just so proud of you, son. Take pleasure in the prosperity. God takes pleasure in your prosperity. When you hurt, you better believe he hurts. And when you're doing well, he rejoices. That's my Esther. See my Esther down there? See how well she's doing? That's my Alicia and Lance. See their beautiful face? See how well they're doing? You better believe that God looks down and takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Father, we break the lies around money and possession. And Father, we thank you. There's over 2,000 verses about prosperity, about money, about possessions. Father, we want to have possessions, but we recognize that we don't want possessions to have us. Father, we know that we are to have money, but money is not to have us. We know that we are to love God and use money. So we, Lord God, we won't use God and love money. We'll keep that thing right by honoring you. This Vision Builders Month, we thank you that for many of us, as we step into a new level of giving, we're going to unlock a new level of living. As you step into a new level of giving, you will unlock a new level of living. Leanne and I are testament. I'm, telling, I'm not telling you anything we don't live. Every single year, as Leanne and I have unlocked new levels of giving, we've stepped into brand new levels of living. It's a testimony you'll hear amend again and again and again. That's what God has for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.